Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it! He got it! Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time! He got it! Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, what's going on, dude? Not a lot, Max. It's uh, been a busy week with the deadline and five games to digest for us, so it should be a pretty busy pod. But you went to the Houston game this week, which I was jealous about, like I always am, particularly the seats that you had for that one, so... I like to live vicariously through you, so you know we'll get into the game in a bit. But what was the uh, the takeaway from the game itself, the atmosphere of that one, Max? It was a lot of fun. Uh, my wife and I went. We got the tickets as a gift for our wedding, and uh, the atmosphere was great. There were actually a fair amount of Houston fans there. It was just it was really packed. It was one of the more uh, filled games I've gone to lately. So it was kind of electric. I mean, you know, Houston. We'll get into this. But Houston really didn't bring it. So the game kind of dwindled towards the end, but the first half was, it was awesome. Yeah, you picked uh, the right one for the week, at least, I think. I don't know, I probably would have preferred the Detroit game, or the Brooklyn game in person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like David said, we're going to go through all those games, we'll do the leaderboard. Uh, we're also going to do the trade deadline recap, what the Suns didn't do, whether we think they should have done something, or any of the rumors that came out. Uh, we may touch a little bit on general NBA trades. Then we're going to pick our all-star teams real quick, David. That should be fun. Yeah, we enjoyed that last year, so we might sneak that one in right at the end, which the listeners can stay around for if they want to, Max. All right, but before we get into it, let's do what we always do here, David. Let's do uh, a recap of a rather depressing week. Max, the Phoenix Suns are 21-32 and 32 after 53 games in the NBA. As I said, they went 1-4 and four over a very busy week. And there was no real other news about other than Cam and Ty returning uh, to the Suns lineup post the trade deadline, which was nice. But as you said, we'll get into other trade newsy stuff later on in the episode. So I'll jump straight through the recap. We lost to Milwaukee, which seems like an eternity ago, 108-129. Book had 32-7 and in that one. Uh, back to back to Brooklyn, 97-119. Aiton had 25-17. and then the loss to Detroit, 108-116. Kelly had 30-5. and five. That might have been the most depressing game of the year so far for mine. Uh, the win at Houston that you went along to, 127-91. Kelly had 39-9. and nine. And then the last game of the week, which we just watched yesterday, the loss to Denver, 108-117. to Aiton had 28-19-2-3-1 on 62% shooting. Uh, and the other two stars of our team couldn't quite get it going shooting-wise. Kelly had 20 and 6, and Booker had 21 and 9. Max, we have dropped to fourth in the division, if that's not depressing enough. Half a game behind at the Sacramento Kings. Nine games in front of the Warriors, so hopefully we won't slip behind them at least. 13th in the conference now, as I said, half a game behind Sacramento, and just four in front of Minnesota. That'll be one to watch and 22nd in the NBA. Mm. 
That's uh, that's hard to hear. <laughs> All right. But how about we start with those, the Houston and, and Denver games. They're kind of fresh in our mind, and, and even though it's one and one, two very fun, fun games, I think, Matt. Yeah, i got to be honest. I'm not sure I'm going to talk about the Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Detroit games for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> I just don't want to. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, let's start with Houston. The only win of the week, uh, it's a trouncing of, uh, of the Rockets. I think, you know, I, before we start gushing about the Suns players, I do want to point out, and I pointed this out uh, on Twitter. In person, it was very obvious just mm-hmm. how gassed Houston was. Uh, Westbrook didn't play, and it was it was really just all Harden. He had over half their points at one point in the third quarter. Uh, it was my wife at one point looked at me and was like, "Do they have any other like players who can do anything?" <laughs> <laughs> and that night, they certainly did not. They did not. Uh, the the no center experiment did not work against the Suns. David, they just they had uh, trouble sticking, uh, sticking with our energy. Yeah, I think if you're going to go the no center experience and also rest one of Harden or Westbrook, you, you're going to run into trouble against mm-hmm. most teams. And that's the the beauty of the NBA. Even a struggling Suns team managed to uh, put up big numbers on them and, and blow them out by over 30 points. But um, still some encouraging signs, uh, particularly, I guess, that they took that into the Denver game as well, which we'll get into. It wasn't a, a total one-off mm-hmm. anomaly, I don't think, Max. But you know, I thought they looked super focused and kind of did all the small things, which I tried to point out. But you were there. So you know, what did you see, I guess, from the Suns, other than what you've uh, already told us about how the Rockets were looking? Was it kind of... You know, was there anything that that wasn't evident on the broadcast that I watched that you kind of saw uh, immediately from the Suns? Yeah, I don't know. This is probably evident in the broadcast as well. But I thought the fact that their first four threes or whatever it was went in, yeah, uh, really got them going. Uh, when they started making shots, it kind of just fed their energy on defense. I think it's been a large part of this season that maybe he's gone overlooked. Is you know when they're when they're hitting shots and the, you know the offense is working, I think they try a little harder on defense. Yep. Seems like they get down on themselves when when the shots aren't going in. And in this game, the shots were going in at an incredible clip. Obviously, Booker and uh, Ubre, Dirk's kind of an avalanche on Houston. Houston just couldn't stick with those two guys in this game. And I think it, it really drove the rest of the team. And and particularly Mikel and Aiton on defense, I thought were, were pretty damn good. Uh, Aiton had one block early on the game that was right in front of me that was incredible. I can't remember who it was against, but it was kind of like in the mid range. Uh, would have been um, the, the, it, the Tucker Tucker help defense one with the with the left hand probably. Yep, that's right. That that play stuck out to me, and then the play where Mikel just uh, stole the ball out right from James Harden. Uh, those <laughs> yep. two plays stuck out to me as they were they were big energy builders. Yeah, Mikel's becoming like a, a legit point of attack defender, mm-hmm. especially on the bigger types. You know, we saw Aiton and Mikel kind of execute the the same plan against Luca uh, a, a couple of games ago, and and I think. You know, maybe not so much on the quicker, shifty guys that, that those two are still going to struggle, but uh, them two is kind of a, a pick and roll defense duo, I think, against those, you know, bigger wing types, which there's no shortage of in the NBA. I, I think that's a, a, a legit weapon we're going to have now that Mikel's in the in the starting lineup, Max. Yep, so do I. Um, something else I want to point out is just how freaking ridiculous James Harden is in person. It just doesn't make sense the way he commands the game. He, you know, he's not the fastest guy out there by any means. He's not that quick off the dribble, but it just doesn't matter. He gets where he wants to on the court uh, at will. And the setback three, like when you watch him do it, it looks like every player in the NBA should be able to do it. It's so easy. It doesn't, it doesn't look hard. He just sits there and dribbles under his legs a couple times, backs up and shoots, and it goes in every time. It's unbelievable, David. Yeah, there were some quotes from Mikel after the game about, you know, thinking after his rookie season guarding him three or four times that, you know, things would get easier. It's just not the case. You know, he did a pretty good job, mind you. I think he had 32 
on nine of nine shooting and uh, 19 shooting, I should say. And, you know, other than those threes, I think Mikel did a really good job. Whenever he got into the mid-range and things, he got stuck and had to pass out or, or force bad shots. So, you know, it, you can have a really good night on, on James Harden. He can still have 32 points because, yeah, there was some soul-destroying step-back threes where you play really good defense and then he just hits the three in your face, nothing but net anyway. But uh, overall, I think they did a really good job, particularly because they didn't have much else. Uh, they managed to to kind of just contain Harden, uh, make someone else beat them, and, and no one else was able to uh, step up to the plate. And as you said, the offensive barrage, I think, really helped as well. You know, we've noted that a few times, you know, that the defense for this team, you know, the best defense they might have might be their offense, just kind of throwing that first punch and getting a bit of confidence and getting the other team on the ropes a little bit. So, you know, I think Mikhail was, you know, one positive from it, but obviously we, we shouldn't bury the lead too much. We should talk about uh, the guy who had a career night, Kelly Oubre, Max. Yeah, he was ridiculous, especially in the fourth quarter. He just kept launching threes that would just go in. It was it was actually just hilarious to watch. Um, I actually, I mean, this may be a hot take. I think Devin Booker was the best player on the Suns in that game. Ooh. He just didn't have to play anymore after the third quarter. Uh, and then Kelly hit a bunch of threes in the, in the, in the fourth. I mean, you know, Booker was outscoring Kelly significantly in the third uh, before he went out and didn't have to yep. come back. Uh, the first quarter for Booker was just, it was a masterful thing. It was ridiculous. That 18-point first quarter was unbelievable. Uh, towards the end of the second quarter, he had a couple of big plays. He had that getting fouled on the three there. Mm-hmm. Uh, really kept him in. He almost made one. I don't remember this one. The one that was on the other side of the three-point line where he, like, like, he was like, I'm falling back, turnaround three that almost went in. It was an unbelievable shot. Uh, he was really on. I think that James Harden kind of, uh, you know, his eyes light up a little bit. He wants to go uh, mano-a-mano with that guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he'll win that battle. By the way, in person, it kind of sticks out how much better James Harden is than Booker, but that's no slight on Booker. James Harden's better than everybody. But yeah, I mean, Kelly's energy was fantastic. He was doing the blow the kisses of the crowd thing. Uh, my wife was getting googly-eyed. Maybe that's why I'm undermining him. Uh, but I don't know, <laughs> What did you think about Kelly? Uh, I, you're right. I think he got to ride it out a little bit longer and, and pad the stats a little bit more. But, you know, 39 points, 14 of 19 shooting, uh, seven threes. That's that's one thing that he's got over Booker. Mm-hmm. He, he's managed to do that twice now, and, and Booker still hasn't. Uh, nine rebounds, one steal, two blocks. That's kind of what stood out to me in the overall game. You know, it was kind of the ultimate Ubre game in terms of you know he hit his open shots, mm-hmm. he attacked, he was confident, and, and he played defense as well. A lot of the time when he's feeling it like that, we uh, we see that the the defensive side of the ball struggles a little bit. Um, but he managed to kind of pull a, a whole game in together, which was really, really good. The other thing that I found really interesting watching the game, I had to look it up. He, he hit three unassisted threes by my count during the game where, hmm. uh, you know, you're just not used to seeing them. Like ISO plays at the top of the key, but not really the way that Kelly's hitting his threes uh, this year. Takes a, a few of them, but but never seems to make them. And I had a look, at, you know, before the Houston game, he had 93 made threes and only two of them were unassisted wow and then we go into the houston game and and of the seven he has three straight away so he already eclipses his total for the the whole rest of the season in in one game and uh, probably the only other thing that stood out which i i tried to point out on twitter uh, when i watched the replay again is monty asked him if he wanted to stay in for 40 and he, he kind of shook it off and and said don't be silly. I'm heading to the bench now. I've been in long enough already. <laughs> yeah, he didn't seem like a guy who cares all that much about uh, counting stats. No, really doesn't. I don't think so. He kind of just likes to go out there and have fun. It really comes across in person yeah, even more on TV, just how much fun that guy's having out there. 
it's it's really cool to watch. What do you think? What do you think of Aiton? Other than what you mentioned before, you know, I think a few people were on him because he only had twelve six four and two, but you know, he was super engaged again, doing all those little things. I tried to point out uh, during the week and. Um, yeah, the, the only other thing I really want to touch on him, because we're going to talk about him a lot when we get to the Denver game, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, I just think if you think listeners of, of all the bad Aiton games and then all the good ones that stand out from his 93 games or so already in his career, the really good ones is where he's clearly gone in with like a single focus. And, you know, obviously Houston playing small ball, mm-hmm. uh, gave him a, a, an easy scouting report of exactly what he was going to need to do in this game to to impact the game. And I just think that's so huge. I think the ones where we see him float through, maybe the coaching staff hasn't given him you know, a clear job or role for that game. And I just think with how coachable he is, even though that might be frustrating to have to you know, baby him from game to game like that, I think that's the, the way to unlocking you know, what we're seeing from DeAndre more recently, Max. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely with all that. I thought he was uh, pretty good defensively in the Houston game. I do think that he maybe left some on the table in terms of what he could have done offensively against th- those players out there. Yeah. The, the first yeah. the first play of the game, I think even, or at least the first Suns possession, can't remember who started the ball, but uh, he was like deep, got a deep under the uh, rim touch and then passed out of it. <laughs> and then I think he got a three-second violation. It's like, come on, dude, <laughs> just talk the damn ball. He's- and that's the most frustrating thing with him. He's been really good lately, but the fact that he just won't go up strong with the ball to the rim is so frustrating yeah what were you about to say yeah he, he unselfish you know it, probably to his detriment a lot of the time he even had some in the in the Denver game passing out of you know doubles and triples that he could probably just go up and he'll most likely get a foul but uh yeah loves to find his teammates for open threes which uh is is a good trait but yeah it can be a little bit frustrating about him he's cutting a lot of the garbage out of his game in the last couple and last couple games I would say the uh the, yes. the mid-range jump yep. shots have become less of a thing which is good that's probably the most important thing with him right now offensively those are <laughs> Those are tough. I think even Aiton's biggest fans are sick of those at this point. Yep. Um, but yeah, for me, the defensive improvement, and then maybe we can use this as a transition to the Denver game. He's just impacting the game on that end now. Yeah. Uh, even when they, before, even when he had good defensive games, he would be in the right places sometimes. But he would not like impact. He would not you know impose his will on the other team. And I think. Especially the Denver game, he was doing that to a greater extent than I've ever seen before. Yeah, let's transition now, because I think that's the the key point from the Denver game. You and I were talking about it just before we jumped on. It's just the the level of activity and engagement. Like he's, uh, you know, getting his hands in passing lanes or, or causing turnovers. And they're just the little things that we've, you know, been looking for. Uh, for him not just floating by, not just getting, you know, his touches and getting shots up and, you know, trying to impact the game in, in all the little ways that he can. You know, I pointed out from the Houston game, like even just saving, you know, loose balls from under the rim back to Kelly Oubre to start a fast break straight away or tipping a rebound to someone. He's he's just starting to, yeah, really put all those little things together. I, I guess you touched on it with, with Houston. They shot the ball ridiculously, which is maybe how we'll transition here. You know, because I think in the Denver game, I watched it on replay. So I, I looked at the stats, you know, before watching. They had 33, uh, sorry, 32 attempts from three, but only shot 28%, uh, which versus the Houston game, they had almost the same amount. They had 31 attempts in that game, but but hit 15 of them. And, you know, I looked at the rebounds, 40 to 41, assists 23 to 25, turnovers. Both teams had 14 each, points in the paint, 54 to 50. So, you know, everything 
kind of was the same except for the shooting. And, you know, before I watched the game, it just seemed like that's what it came down to. And, you know, you saw how well Aiton played. And I think really at the end of the day, that's where they lost the game, Max, as, as frustrated as we all got watching the game down the stretch. Uh, they just didn't hit enough shots. Yeah, you know, the old cliche has never been truer, the make or miss league. Yeah, uh, it is truly that now, and I think you know this is a separate conversation, but I think maybe to the detriment of the overall quality of the game, mm -hmm. in my personal opinion. But yeah, I mean they didn't make shots, particularly Devin Booker. I think that Devin Booker was pretty bad in this game. I don't think that's a bunch of a hot take to say. What was he like six for fifteen, six for sixteen, something like that? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, as much as we've given Devin Booker the praise this season, he's deserved. It. He should be an All Star. All that. He's been awesome. He really has left a lot on the table in some of these fourth quarters, especially over the past three weeks. Um, the Suns could have three or four more wins if he had just had really excellent fourth quarters whether, rather than, you know, poor fourth quarters. Yeah. And I think uh, this game was an example of that. They may have lost anyway. I think they are having trouble. You're right that they should have made more shots. They are also having trouble getting stops, especially late in the fourth quarter. Uh, there's also a terrible call. I mean, I'm not going to – the refs were nowhere near why they lost this game, but there was an awful little touch foul that Jokic got to the line on uh, that was pretty big. But, yeah, you know, if Booker would have, instead of being awful in the fourth quarter, hit, you know, three or four threes or something, you know, that could have been a whole different game. Yeah, I'm not going to do the, you know, kill the, the female ref thing and, and, you know, be incredibly sexist or anything like that. But it, it was very clear that uh, one referee out there was uh, the the consistent bad call maker and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, things like continuations and things like that that are very obvious. You know, I don't really get into fouls. It's a pretty damn hard league to... Um, you know, make those judgment 50-50 calls. And, you know, generally speaking, they come back uh, with bad calls the other way. But things like continuation and stuff that are very clear and have rules set in place are, are pretty frustrating. But I thought Booker's yeah. passing was, I guess, one highlight of the game. You know, he did struggle. And we probably should point to the minutes with a lot of these guys. Like Aiton played over 40 again. Uh, Rubio is still, I think, only playing about 32 in this one, but even for him, seems a little bit banged up, probably shouldn't be playing that much. It, they did, and Booker in particular, like, I think he had 37 in this one. So again, not a huge amount, but, you know, game after game, particularly on back-to-backs, uh, a, a busy week of five games. I think that's really, you know, coming to the fore. And we've said with Aiton before as well, uh, you know, when he's gassed, that's when some of the defensive lapses seem to come and stuff as well so it's just unfortunate you know Monty probably has to bring all these guys back one or two minutes before he really wants to because he can see the game slipping away and uh, it just negatively impacts their their game down the stretch and I think that's definitely what we saw with Devin Booker last night but you know I really loved I guess to transition a little more to Aiton's game the the throwing up to the rim that seemed to be a little bit of an adjustment Maybe they knew the way Denver was going to play. Obviously, Jokic isn't exactly a, a, a vertical rim protector, and they knew that they could <laughs> exploit that a little bit. But, you know, the, the way they managed to get Aiton involved by just, you know, having him rim run and, and throw the ball up near the hoop and have him finish it was, was probably the highlight of, of the overall game for me, Max. It was the highlight of the offense for the Suns for me, for sure. I would say the highlight of the overall game for me was Aiton defensively, particularly in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. First three possessions, I think he had a really nice defensive possession where he it was either got a block or really forced a, a bad miss. Then the other end, he really yeah. he got inside, sealed off, and, and got an easy score inside. And then he came back down the other end and got another block. Just an awesome sequence for me. It's exactly what you want to see him do. And then you pointed out, actually, before we started recording, uh, I think your favorite one was when he had like those back-to-back -back steals. 
don't know if it was back to back, but it was close to back to back. Uh, both were outletted for for easy scores, so that was that was excellent. I think Aiton, you know, I've, I've been saying on this podcast forever, and you've been agreeing, I think, is that you know he's gonna you know he's gonna make his money, he's gonna earn his his uh, his future, you know, all star candidacy stuff like that defensively. And tonight you see why yep. because he has the physical ability to absolutely dominate a game on that end. And I think for the first time we're starting to see stretches. You know, I wouldn't say the first time because the Orlando overtime, I guess, was a stretch like that. But those, it was, you know, once or twice last season. Now we're starting to see it a little more. And I think in this Denver game, it was the best it's ever been. Yeah, and I really tried to point it out after the Houston game because he only had 12, 6, 4, and 2. And I thought that, you know, that was the, the classic game where he can really have an impact on it without the numbers. But I think most nights the numbers are going to take care of themselves if he comes with that approach every night. And then, mm-hmm. you know, to have the Denver game directly after, see him play with the same intensity uh, and the same engagement, and all of a sudden he has 28, 19, 2, 3, and 1 on 13 and of 21 from the floor. Like, that that was proof in the pudding, you know, that if he comes with that every night, even against really, really good players, you know, Jokic was, I don't know if you saw the quotes after the game, but, you know, very, very... Um, what should I say, positive about Aiton's game and, and his future mm. in the league, which was nice to see. And I guess the 28 and 19, I automatically thought of of the, the famous Booker 30-20 quote. Yep. You know, you, you're not a double-double guy, you're a 30 and 20 guy. And that was probably the closest we ever saw to that. Uh, and as you said, so active, only three shots outside the paint, and we got a three as well, Max. That yes. looked good. It almost went down. I thought it was gonna thought it was gonna rattle down, which would have been a, a nice way to end that half. But um, you know, he just created so many points off turnovers. You, as you said, you know, I've got some clips that I'm gonna post later today. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff on gravity for for other guys just because he was playing so well. The the Nuggets were so worried about him rolling to the rim. Uh, and as I said to you before we jumped on, a, a Devin Booker really good game. I end up with you know somewhere between 20 and 25 little clips from the game that I really liked, and I uh, ended up with 30 from from this Aiton game. So uh, mm. that just you know speaks to to how active he was and and how well he impacted the game throughout the game. And that was probably the most pleasing thing. It wasn't just flashes like we've gotten used to recently and had to hold on to. This was a, you know, other as you said, like everyone, faded a little bit towards the end. But other than that, a, a pretty consistent 40-minute, you know, all four quarters performance from DeAndre. Yeah, you know, people love to say things like Aiton can get a double-double in his sleep. That he's a walking double-double. I prefer <laughs> awake Aiton who's running because that guy gets 28-19. <laughs> Uh, and his activity impacts the game. Like that's what we want to see from DeAndre Ayton. All the criticism will wash away from me if that's what we start seeing. Uh, and the, the last, the last thing for me—not uh, the last thing, obviously. I mean, I want his defense to get even better, you know, obviously. But the last, like, fundamental change in his game that I'm really looking for is just attack the damn basket, DeAndre. The 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 layup uh, on the—it was like a fast break transition thing where they they hit uh, Ayton coming from behind. He go, it goes for the layup instead of the dunk, but he easily could have either dunked or gotten fouled in a dunk, no problem. And he lays yeah. it up. Uh, it's just like DeAndre. You, you got to realize what you can do. You got it. Sometimes yeah, told- it's like he gets scared of going up for a dunk because he thinks he might get blocked or or something. But if you're not going to get blocked very often, DeAndre. You're just going to get fouled. You're either going to dunk it or you're going to get fouled. Yeah, and I think he's super results based. So hopefully, you know, a few of those come off, and and we'll start to see it a little bit more. You know, watching the broadcast last night. 
he did make quite a few comments, which he's been getting more vocal about mm. towards the refs about calling fouls. I've got no doubt in my mind. It is a mindset thing. I'm not going to give him a total excuse on this. Like it's just not ingrained him in him, but I think he goes for the kind of silky finish mm-hmm. over the aggressive one because he's just not getting foul calls. It's it's really ridiculous. You know, there was quite a few moments where he actually finished buckets and then yelled at the ref to call the foul, and he's getting pretty frustrated with that. But yeah, that one, I think that was another transition that he started with some kind of yes. you know deflective hands and then started the fast break. And I think it was Ali Akobo wanted to reward him for, for starting the break, and you just want to see him slam that one down. So, yeah, there's always going to be something to work on uh, with any second-year player, but uh, specifically DeAndre Ayton. But, again, it's just because we know how great he can be. And, you know, again, I think I saw a lot of people after the game or, or down the stretch quite emotional and, and annoyed that we let one slip away. But like we've been saying on this podcast, Max, you, you take the wins or the wanting to get back in the playoff picture out of it and, you know, a, a back-to-back blowout of Houston and then, you know, taking a, a 37-16 and 16 team right to the wire. I, I just can't help but be positive about uh, the last two games of this week. I know people hate moral victories, but I don't even think it's a moral victory to say that what Aiton looked like in the Denver game is more important than us just winning that game because, say, Booker went off, you know? Uh, the, oh, 100%. Yeah, for long-term trajectory, the most important thing for this entire team is DeAndre Ayton looking like DeAndre Ayton did in that game. So I don't know how you can walk away from that not happy. I absolutely wasn't. We're not making the playoffs, guys. We're, we're not making it. So <laughs> I would not focus so much on the wins and losses. There's no way we're going there. Uh, one last thing I want to mention before we get to our leaderboard, unless you have something else. Uh, Mikel Bridges, I just love how he's getting a little more aggressive offensively. Mm-hmm. He really seems like he's getting more comfortable. When he attacks the rim, I always expect him to score because his arms are so damn long. He just gets to the rim. And he's getting more and more confident with that. He's also getting in to the lane and doing the pull-up jumper a little bit more. And it looks pretty good. I think that Mikel is showing signs that he may be a little more on offense than just a, a guy who can only shoot three-pointers middlingly. Yeah, he's he's worked out how those those long limbs kind of get him through the lane and, and past the last defender without them even really being able to challenge the shot. That's really been good to see. Uh, and, you know, we've noted it, I think, earlier in the season, and I think we're, we're, it's a, uh, a byproduct of him going into the starting lineup, is his chemistry with Ricky Rubio is ridiculous. So, uh, this is off the top of my mm-hmm. head, Max. I only looked at it the other day, but I think he had something like 48 assists from Ricky Rubio. The next best was Booker, which was like 19. And the whole team combined, I think, is maybe 70 or 75. So hmm. Ricky Rubio is almost, you know, three quarters of the the rest of the team in terms of feeding Mikael Bridges. So uh, getting those two together more by putting Mikael in the, in the starting lineup has been huge for his offense. I think he's finally crept over 30% from three this year, which is, you know, nothing to write home about. But considering where he started, he, he must be shooting pretty decently to see that go up over the 30s now and hopefully that keeps going mm-hmm. in the right direction and yeah I think you're right I think you know we're going to get into this in in the trade deadline stuff and, and standing pat but you know one byproduct of not bringing anyone else in is it, it the rest of this season becomes really important for just seeing how 
you know, some of these guys finish off the year and, and what they can be counted on for next year because it'll make, mm-hmm. you know, free agency and things a, a little bit easier on James Jones if he knows that. So that's going to be a positive of standing pat and, and you know, potentially a, a bit of a teaser for our discussion a bit later, Max. Uh, we can't move on from the Denver game with a, a, without at least mentioning uh, the Kelly Oubre poster, uh, if not two of them, Max. Oh my God. The one where he passed up the three and idiots like me were like, oh, in the moment, why did you pass up the three? Then just yams it on Paul Millsat. That was the play of the season for the Suns, I think. <laughs> There's another way to get three points in the NBA, Max. And he found it, didn't he? Man, that was just yep. awesome. I, I think that Kelly Oubre is so close to just being an incredibly good player. It basically just comes down to him not doing the dumb crap he does sometimes. Yep. Like just drive into the lane, especially in fast breaks by himself against three players. If he just stops doing that kind of crap, he will be so valuable, dude. Another teaser for our uh, little trade deadline uh, thing where Kelly surprisingly came up. So let's move to the leaderboard for now, and we'll get back to both of those discussions a a little bit later, Max. I don't need to stray very far from my five-star player, David. He was the most consistent player this week, the most outstanding player this week. It's Kelly Uber. I was going to ask you before you jumped in, I think it's been five weeks since either of us have displaced Devin Booker from the five-star slot and I am in uh, full agreement with you, 25-7 and seven, uh, in almost 39 minutes this week over five games. Mm. Uh, and his splits were really amazing too. 47 from the field, 48 from three, and 84 from the free throw line. And he took 7.8 threes per game over this five-week stretch, Max. So wow. he very much deserves to uh, be the first five-star player, at least for you and I. Some of the listeners have thrown other guys in over the last five weeks, but uh, over Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Detroit, Houston, and Denver, I think we can safely say Kelly Oubre will be getting uh, most of the five votes this week from us and all the listeners. I agree with that. Uh, Booker didn't just fall from number five for me, David. He fell two spots down. He is number three for me. I'll go ahead and say my number four star player. It's DeAndre Ayton, David. We agree on this one too. 22, 13.6, 3.4 assists, two blocks, 54% shooting from the field, and 5.4 offensive rebounds over the last five games. That's pretty much a stat line. Uh, that would get you very excited about DeAndre Ayton's future, particularly the the rebounds, the assists, and the blocks, Max, and the efficiency. Uh, surprise, surprise, is starting to come back as we see the mid-range jumpers dwindle away. And I just hope <laughs> you know he gets more reward for that in, in the way of wins, because again, I think he's very results based, and they need to pick up some wins, uh, you know, post All Star break to to kind of show him that not taking mid-range jumpers actually is good for the team, Max. agree with that, although I will say I got to think that he sees a stat line after that Denver game and just sees the way, it feels the way he impacted the game, and that's got to be reward uh, alone. Without I hope so. Right. I really do. Devin Booker is three-star, David. He's always good. He wasn't as good this week as he usually is. I would like to have seen him swing either the Detroit or the Denver game. He didn't. Uh, it was great in Houston, but so was Kelly. Three-star player for me. Yeah, not much change to the overall leaderboard. He's still way out in front with Kelly, Ricky, Dario, and Baines, the next four. But, you know, I think uh, I've got a a slight hint that, uh, you know, the week that DA had and and even Mikhail, who we talked about before, I think they're going to get themselves up into the top five probably after this week. Uh, I thought it might have been Booker's worst week of the year, but I looked back through the, the records that we've been keeping and there was probably some other weeks where he only got... 
uh, a couple of votes uh, due to you know a, a shorter amount of games and and not great Booker stats. But I'm with you on this. He had 3.6 turnovers to not many more assists for the week, uh, and his shooting numbers were kind of a little bit down, particularly from the field. So uh, yeah, 24, five and five only gets you three votes. Uh, this week for Devin Booker, even in a week where we only went one and four max, which is kind of bending my brain a little bit, but that that's the way this uh, week crumbled for us. It was an odd week, and we also have very, very high expectations for Devin Booker, so <laughs> yes. a little harder for him. Uh, number two, David, I don't think you'll disagree here either. It's Mikel Bridges. Mikel, uh, another classic Mikel line, 11-4, 2-2-1. Uh, really good shooting splits, 48-37-85. Uh, 3.2 three-point attempts per game over the last five, which he's shooting at, at least max, which is seeing good results. And that's really all we want to see. I think most people uh, comment on that with Mikhail is we just want to see him shoot the ball. So he's being more confident with that. Uh, the defense is always going to get him in these top five votes most weeks, I think, Max. And uh, what more can we say other than what we did before about McCann? Stealing the ball in isolation from James Harden alone got him two stars this week. <laughs> because uh, one star was, I mean, it, it's kind of Rubio by default for me, David, but I didn't really want to give it to anybody. It's pretty bad. You know, Rubio, which I agree with you, I've put him in at one. Uh, only had eight, eight, and one for the week. His shooting splits were 34, 16 from three, and 100% mm. uh, from the free throw line. The only thing, and, and it's probably why I got him into the, the one, one slot here, is I think he's battling. Not only has he got a newborn baby, I'm pretty sure. There's been a few uh, sly comments from uh, the Suns broadcast team during games about how he's battling injury and, and probably shouldn't be playing. Uh, I think they even mentioned one of the games, maybe it was the Detroit game, uh, that they didn't want him to play. And because mm. we were so shorthanded, he essentially said, nah, fuck that, I'm, I'm going out there. So, uh, you know, a, a small excuse for Ricky, but hopefully maybe past All-Star break. I think we've only got two games before that. So maybe some rest will will do Ricky some good and we'll see the old Ricky again. But yeah, it was pretty hard to, to find a, a one-week uh, a one vote this week. I thought about sliding Cam in there just for the Denver game only, who we didn't touch on before, but I just thought his overall confidence coming back from injury, I thought he looked really good in there. I'm not sure if... Uh, we had a, a, a LeCue signing as well earlier in the in the week, so uh, you know even he could have got the one vote because it was pretty hard to, to find someone for that slot. I'm not sure if you considered anyone else, Max. I tried to. I looked through. I just there was nobody who really was consistent enough across the five games. Like I agree, Cam was nice, but you know he didn't play most of the week. Uh, I don't know. I, and to me, I just kind of had to give it to Ricky Rubio just because he was <laughs> the fifth most impactful player this week. Um, <laughs> I missed High Jerome David. I, really odd the Houston thing. Where he came in in the fourth, I thought he was out, uh, and then he played not at all in Denver, if I remember correctly. So yeah, I don't know about that. He was really good before he got hurt. I really hope that they uh, find a way to get him involved again because that's a skill set this team needs. I almost went on a rant about him coming into the Houston game, and I didn't want to, you know, get all negative when Suns Twitter was extremely high after a blowout win of the Rockets. But mm -hmm. how a guy can be on the injury report, and then I was shocked. Like, literally, my eyes lit up to see him out there on the court. I was like, "That is that someone else that I don't know? Like, who who is this guy? To, to throw a guy out with a calf injury as well just seems like danger waiting to happen. And uh, as you know, I'm not a great uh, proponent of the Suns, not so much the medical staff, but the way that they announce injuries and, and fill us fans in on what's going on. So that was a little bit of a shock to see. But, yeah, hopefully we 
see him and a few other guys uh, pretty soon, and and it's not so hard to to scrounge around for a, a one vote. But maybe that's a, a great way to finish uh, the discussion of the week. Really, is uh, as much as we've raved about most of our top guys, and they all deserve their spot here. Uh, when you when you're really struggling to find a, a fifth best player for the week. Uh, you, you're going to have one and four weeks where you just can't eke a couple more wins out because the the depth is really taken away from this team at the moment. Yeah, they're they're just hurting. They don't they don't you know Diallo's like their first up off the bench right now. It's tough. They don't have a lot of guys. Uh, I think that's a big reason why. And we'll get to this. Obviously, everyone was so upset over the trade deadline because they do need bodies right now. Yeah. Um, and you know it's hard, it's hard to disagree with that. They just, as you mentioned, you've been pointing out that the amount of minutes they've been playing, uh, the back to back sweep were really rough on them. Yeah, I, they need more players, and that's why I mean I think the all Suns fans included could use a little bit of a rest. I'm excited for the All Star break. I am too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the Suns need it as much as anybody. They need to come back with a more of a real team. Uh, Bane's back. You know, Cam and Ty healthy. They just need to be have options to go to. Yeah, and you said it before. There's really not that much to talk about from the other three games of of the week with Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Detroit. Other than that point, really, is that those three games in particular really showed that you know one or two more injuries. I think Rubio didn't play the Milwaukee game. I thought they fought really hard in that one, but you know, extremely shorthanded against the best team in the league. And then the Detroit one was just a weird one. You could just tell that that team was feeling mm. the trade deadline only being a few hours away um, from that game. It was just a really odd game. Funnily enough, you know, Andre Drummond's last game for the Pistons where he went off and probably won them the game, Max. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we need to touch on those games a little bit uh, or, or really at all. Uh, But I will remind the listeners, week 15 votes Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Detroit, Houston, and Denver for those ones. And week 16, uh, we're going to have probably the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, I believe, before the long-awaited All-Star break that I just mentioned, Max, and that you mentioned also that we're all probably all looking forward to uh, a, a little break from Suns basketball for at least a few days uh, and to do something else with our lives, perhaps. Distance makes the heart grow fonder, David. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that I will say about the Detroit, uh, you know, those three games is uh, Kelly Oubre's demeanor change between the Detroit and the Houston game yes. and the deadline being in the middle, I don't think is an accident. I'll just say that. Yeah, I'm totally uh, All right, David, how about, uh, how about did you know? Well, Max, I had to keep it trade deadline related for the segment in episode 78 this week. So did you know the 1920 trade deadline was the first time in six years that the Suns didn't make an in-season move before the deadline? That's right. Previous GM Ryan McDonough was always pretty active on the trade front and managed to make a trade between October and February every year, except his first. And perhaps there's something to that, Max. The 13-14 season was his first, and the only one where he kept continuity and the team performed the best it ever did under him, finishing with 48 wins and just missing the playoffs. I'm cheating just a tad with Shannon Brown, Marcin Gortat, Malcolm Lee all traded on October 25, just five days before the Sun season began, for a Mecca Okafor and a first-round pick. First quiz, Max, that pick became the 14th selection via the Washington Wizards, which became which Suns player? 
Oh, shoot. I don't even remember what year that was. Um, was that TJ Warren? No. He was probably the only mid-first round pick that uh, they actually got right. This time round, it was Tyler Ennis. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> From there, we had the mega deadline day of 2015, where Dragic and IT left and Knight came in. And as we've covered before, that pick that got Mikel in the end and went a few other places was in the trade somewhere as well. In 2016, there was a saga where Phoenix held out again and got a first out of Washington again for Markeith Morris. Max, that first was Georges Papianis and therefore the ill-fated Marquise Chris trade-up. Then in 2017, when Phoenix traded the beloved PJ Tucker away for two second-round picks from Toronto, again, we've covered that one before. Those became Alec Peters and George King. 2018 when Bledsoe said he didn't want to be here anymore and was traded to Milwaukee for Greg Monroe and another first. That first, of course, landed Ty Jerome and Aaron Baines. Also in 2018, the Suns traded for Alfred Payton. Remember that one, Max? That pick actually became Jared Vanderbilt, who made his way to the Wolves on this deadline as well, actually, from Denver. Then, of course, 2019, the Suns traded again with the Washington Wizards, Trevor Ariza for Kelly Oubre and some other pieces. And before that, Ryan, oh, after that, I should say, Ryan Anderson for Tyler Johnson and change. Quick side note, I'd forgotten how much business we'd done with Washington even prior to the Kelly Oubre heist. So perhaps that's an omen for the future with a certain wizard we might start talking about in a few months time hint hint to the listeners there but we've been (laughs) busy max at least until this year and that maybe explains the letdown most sons felt when james jones and co decided not to make any moves this time around which brings us to what did happen which we of course will discuss in a minute but courtesy of regular pod listener jb or at az sports survivor max i have another question for you how many former sons do you think got traded between the start of this current 2019-20 season and the deadline of just a few days ago oh man there were quite a few like morris is coming to mind isaiah thomas uh i'm gonna go with five there was eight believe it or not and i've given you some clues throughout this segment with some names that I've mentioned and you just mentioned a couple there but how many do you think you can name other than the two we'll give you the two Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas which I believe were essentially in the same trade uh can you name anyone else off the top of your head didn't Brandon Knight get traded yes that's three um I'm going to be happy with three, David. (laughs) I'll run over them for you. Uh, Before the deadline, January 21, Trevor Ariza was traded to the Blazers for Anthony Tolliver. So a rare ex-son for son double there, including Kent Bazemore and some other junk in that one. Feb 5, Gerald Green, sadly, was traded and involved in that big four-team trade between the Rockets, Hawks, Wolves, and Nuggets. February 6, as you mentioned, the Clippers acquired Marcus Morris and Isaiah Thomas in a trade with the Knicks and Wizards. On the same day, possible, possibly the most under-the-radar trade of them all, ex-son Jordan McRae was traded to the Nuggets for Shabazz mm. Napier. And finally, also on Feb 6, Alex Len made his way to the Kings and Brandon Knight to the Pistons, as you said. But Max, we can leave it there for this week with just one question before you go. 
according to this transaction log on Real GM, how many players do you think have come to Phoenix by way of trade since inception in 68-69? I'll give you a little clue. It's somewhere between... <laughs> Uh, it's somewhere between 100 and 200, Max. 150, David. <laughs> Ooh, you're very close going in the middle there. It's a, The answer is 152. And being episode mm. 78, I couldn't help but go through the transaction list and work out who number 78 is on that list. It can be any one of three guys, all of whom came across in the one deal in February 2002, which is a small clue for you. Max, can you choose... One of the three, if you want to take a stab of one of those players that were in a deal in 2002, I guarantee you know at least one of the players. Oh, I'm sure I do, but I'm not going to guess it. Who was it? <laughs> On Feb 20, 2002, Tony Delk and Rodney Rod- Rogers were traded to Boston. Another clue for anyone still trying to work it out. For mm. Randy Brown, Milt Palacio, and Joe Johnson. Mm-hmm. Between those three guys, they started 194 games for the Phoenix Suns. Iso Joe started 193 of those. And Milton Sigmund Palacio, who I am butchering his last name, I'm sure, actually got the one start for the Phoenix Suns. So we will leave it there, Max. It's now time to talk about some more recent starters for the Phoenix Suns uh, and the trade deadline and what did and didn't happen for us this week, Max. Yes, let's talk about some non-trades at this trade deadline. Um, let's start with the most substantive thing that came out regarding the Suns, the Luke Kennard rumors. Luke Kennard. It seemed like they were more than rumors. They were... <laughs> Luke Kennard. Yes, Luke Kennard. Uh, if, if his name would have been Luca, I would have been very upset if they didn't trade for him. To be um, but I, I think saying there's a rumor is probably uh, too weak, actually. It was well-sourced. It was woe. It was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just ended up not being able to agree on pick protection. I think it's very hard to uh, say really much of anything about whether or not the Suns made the right choice here because I don't know what the what the, what the actual haggling was over. Yep. We don't even know whether it was this year's first or not. We don't know very much of anything. We just know it was a first. Um, if, if it was this year's first, I think that you know I would have been happy partying with the you know, top 10 protected probably. just not a very good draft, it seems like. If it was a future first of some kind, then I could really see why they'd be nervous to give up really anything beyond a lottery protected first. Yeah, Woj was Woj was very particular in his language uh, that he used when he leaked that report around uh, the first potentially uh, getting to the Pistons in 2020, which, you know, that's where everyone yeah. kind of, you know, started reading the tea leaves and went, okay, they're probably talking about project uh, protections on this pick and uh, where it comes down to. You just mentioned it there. I wanted to ask you the question uh, of kind of what protections you would have done and then, you know, I guess... It, guessing to the best of our ability where you think it maybe fell down with the the Suns and Pistons. I think what you said around top 10 was probably around what they were talking about and and just couldn't agree. But what do you think on that one, Max? Um, My guess is what it came down to was they probably were agreeing okay on what happened this year Yep, is my guess. I think it's probably, you know, assuming it didn't convey this year and it rolled over, it was where is it going to be, you know, next year or maybe even the year after. They maybe wanted it to convert to seconds eventually, whereas the Detroit wanted it to be uh, unprotected eventually. Mm-hmm. I could see that being why it broke down because you know Detroit probably doesn't want two seconds. I mean, I understand that. Um, in terms of what I would have done, I don't know very much about his health, David. I don't know that anybody who's just on Twitter does. Yeah, I would like to know a lot more about what's going on with uh, his knee tendonitis or whatever the hell it is. It's kept him out for whatever it is, twenty-five games. If I was reasonably confident that his health 
was going to be okay. I would have been pretty in up for trading for him. I think he fits a pretty big need for this team, you know, the bench scoring and the shooting. Two things they really need. I think he's an underrated individual scorer, which kind of got lost, I think, in parts of Suns Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's kind of the guy that they exactly needed up the bench to come and create his own offense. So would have been in if I thought he was perfectly healthy to give up a first this year. Maybe maybe one that was lottery protected a few years and turned into seconds was what I would want to do. And it may have been what the Suns wanted to do also, and that may have been why it broke down. Yeah, and, you know, we I'd, I'd want to talk about uh, Kennard just a little bit because, you know, I don't think we can rule out that Phoenix take another look at some point and therefore it, it's still relevant to talk about that fit and, and why it was a good guy to mm-hmm. to go after in the trade. The health stuff definitely is a concern uh, and maybe where the Suns kind of drew a line at the end of the day. But, you know, there were some rumors that he's, you know, potentially been healthy for a little while now and was essentially sitting out hoping to get traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, you know, it has not gotten on all that well with the, the current Detroit coaching staff. Uh, he's obviously going to be a, a restricted free agent in, in 18 months' time or so. So there were kind of all those concerns of why Detroit might be looking to get rid of him and, and why the Suns might have thought that he was a, a really good one to go in with. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I love the fit. You know, I made the joke to to you and a few others privately about him kind of being diet D-Lo. <laughs> uh, if you look at their kind of games against each other, I think he gets typecast a little bit as just a white guy um you know look at his three-point numbers and probably just think that he's a a decent catch and shoot guy but that's not him this year at least from what we've seen like you know even with a a low much lower usage than D'Lo he was shooting the ball um you know pretty similar if not better in a few situations and not just catch and shoot so you know 40 percent from three when you're doing it on like step backs and off movement and and creating a little bit yourself as well uh, it is a lot more impressive than just throwing another guy out there that you can rely on to, you know, hit an open shot if Devin Booker throws him the ball. I don't, I, I don't think that's what this was at all. I think this was a, you know, legit sixth man and and someone you probably could have got excited about to to finish games uh, with Devin Booker when when Ricky Rubio certainly doesn't have it, which I know is you know something that's frustrated Suns fans more recently. We need more shooters out there. Uh, down the stretch, and and that's kind of the role that I I would have been able to see Canard playing. Max. Yeah, Diadilo is almost unfair to to Luke. He's, Luke's efficient, David. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's just scored efficiently. Exactly. He's had a sixty percent ish true shooting every single year, including this year when he played. When he was had a pretty big role, actually. He started a lot of games. He was uh, one of the biggest or one of the primary offensive options on this team for a while. Uh, I think he does a lot more, as you said, than people give him credit for. I also agree with you. He's a name to watch going forward. Maybe in restricted free agency, we could take him there mm-hmm. or trade the summer or the next deadline. It would make a lot of sense, especially next deadline. Like Detroit's going to want to get something for him. It seems pretty obvious he's not long for there. So the next deadline maybe is when this the uh, this deal actually gets done. Uh, do you want to move on to uh, the Kelly Oubre stuff though, David? Definitely. Yeah, I think uh, I'll just mention the diet. Uh, D'Lo is maybe that he was the the healthier option, not necessarily the worse option yeah. uh, of D'Angelo Russell. And uh, yeah, I think we've said enough on Luke Kennard, who's not going to be a Phoenix Sun, at least for uh, the foreseeable future. And a, a guy that is going to be uh, a Phoenix Sun, at least for the foreseeable future, Max, is Kelly Oubre. What was your initial take on all of those rumors popping up on uh, the last day, I think it was. It kind of came out of nowhere and, and shocked us a little, Max. Just to be clear, I wasn't tragic in comparison. I was just wanted to make a joke about Dilo. Um, <laughs> my take, and I, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, David. My take is this. I think it's common for teams to listen on their players, and I think there's nothing wrong 
with listening on Kelly Oubre. He's not Devin Booker. Like, there is a world where you would trade Kelly Oubre. Mm-hmm. However, what's wrong is, and it's an organizational failure, really, when it comes down to it, is that this got out. Um, this doesn't get out for teams that know what they're doing. And I, I hypothesize to you that maybe it's, it's just uh, James Jones wasn't forceful enough in telling teams that, you know, you need to make sure you tell everybody that, you know, Kelly, we, we shut you down when you called about Kelly Oubre. Yeah. You know, we're not trading him. That's what we told you. Like, that needs to be the message going out. Because, you know, you, you don't hear this crap about other players. You hear, you actually hear a lot. You'll hear teams called about this player, but they got shot down immediately. Like, that report happens a lot. Yeah. And I guarantee you that report often happens because they did talk about the player, but the team didn't want the player to find out about it. Uh, and uh, here, Kelly Oubre obviously found out about it. It got out. That they were listening, and I think that was a mistake. David. Yeah, I, I've I really love this point from you from the first time that you brought it up. Not something that I thought of at all. It's a small uh, nuance to the the whole negotiations of things. Um, haven't really seen anyone else bring it up either, and I think you you you're on the money. I think they can probably do a little bit better job. Um, you know, handling these things. You know, they've been pretty good. You know, particularly with the Canard stuff. I think you know where it caught Suns fans by surprise is that the Suns just don't leak. They've been, you know, pretty tight. Uh, and I think it was pretty obvious that, that it was coming from Detroit's side with that stuff. This stuff, as you said, may have still come from teams that aren't the Phoenix Suns, but they could have probably done a, a better job of making sure that other t- teams don't go out with that. I think, it, as you said, it was probably just some decent playoff to contender teams touching base, knowing that Cali's having a, a pretty damn good season, as we've said, uh, and he's only on a short deal, so uh, isn't going to kill your cap too much going forward. So, you know, why wouldn't you add a player like that for uh, some picks or something if that's what Phoenix are looking for? I'm sure what they would have found out when they picked up the phone is that the Suns have no interest at all in uh, being what they were in the past and just selling another good player for, mm-hmm. for nothing at all. So uh, it would have probably got shot down, as you said. They just didn't do a good job of making sure that people... Uh, told reporters like Mark Stein that. So that'll be the interesting thing. You know, I, it is, it does bring up a, a really interesting conversation. You know, there's only one year left on that deal. You, you could argue that this deadline was where his value would be, uh, you know, at, at its peak, essentially, before he turns into a, an expiring. So, you know, teams could have got the end of this year and, and all of next year and be, therefore be willing to give up something pretty decent. Jones did comment to, to Gina of The Athletic as well on just liking to hear from other teams' opinions on his players, and I think they were maybe just doing a little bit of groundwork, Max, and not necessarily wanting to trade him right now, but just wanting to understand what his value might be should trades you know, this offseason come up to change the balance of the team a little bit. Uh, or use Kelly for you know a much bigger trade, which you know at this point in time that's really the only place that I'm going to be in support of dealing Kelly Oubre is if he's like the main salary piece in going after a Bradley Beal or something like that, Max. Yeah, I don't know if Washington's going to be keen on uh, taking back Oubre in that <laughs> trade. But yes, that would have been nice. Um, the only name that got mentioned, uh, team name along with Kelly, was uh, Orlando. Yes, and one, I, I thought that was a really interesting uh, name. It, it almost has to be Aaron Gordon in that trade, I would think. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm wondering what what would broke down about that. It's because I could see the Suns being interested in Aaron Gordon. I'm not. I don't like him that much, but he is a. I guess just purely positionally makes more sense theoretically yep. uh, with the Suns because he's more of a, a natural four. Uh, I wonder if maybe that was like the piece that Orlando was offering and, and the Suns were wanting a lot more. I don't think the Suns were going to trade Uber unless it was an obvious win. 
Like, if Orlando would have called up and be like, hey, you can have uh, Aaron Gordon and, like, two firsts, I think maybe they do that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, they weren't just going to do a straight swap, I don't think. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's that was Orlando's angle on it. They probably yeah. saw or thought that, that, you know, there's been rumors that they've wanted to get off Gordon for, for quite a while because uh, he doesn't really fit in with their team. And maybe they saw that Ubre and Mikhail are starting together and the Suns, you know, are probably not interested in, in those two together as a starting lineup mm-hmm. long-term. And maybe they just saw an opportunity where both teams could get a player that fits better, that are of similar value and, and maybe overrated or overvalued their own guy uh, a little bit too much to the point where they thought they could just get away with like a, a straight swap, as you said, and, and the Suns weren't going to have uh, any part of that. And, and I wouldn't have any part of that either. So I'm glad that if that was... Uh, the basic structure of a deal that they they didn't pull the trigger on it, but you know I think you know I brought up the the Tobias Harris comparison uh, the other day, which which isn't perfect. And, you know Harris is having a down year, but mm. their stats are, are as close as two players' stats can be, Max, uh, side by side for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you alluded to it at the top of the pod, so we should probably just talk about it a little bit. You know Kelly is just one or two changes to his game away from being or or taking another leap and therefore you know being in a a Tobias Harris type situation I I said to you uh, I'd much rather be the the Clippers uh, in that situation than the Sixers in the in the one that you know sold high on him and and Mm -hmm. got a good package rather than the one that then had to uh, commit to the max and you know, now Harris is earning more money than he he probably deserves but that's kind (laughs) of the 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 airspace that we're getting into with Kelly Oubre. I, I, I'm not saying that he is Tobias Harris or or deserves, you know, 30 plus million when he, uh, you know, enters free agency, but there's going to be a lot of money around. And as you said, if he just comes back next season with uh, one or two tweaks, I think he could be a, a pretty attractive player on, on the free agency market. Max. I think Tobias Harris is a great comparison. I think that's kind of like the upside for him to be that level of player, if not the same kind of player. Yeah. Um, and that means you're giving him $40 million a year, David, over five years, because that's what I think. I think the end of Harris's contract the last year is about $40 million, but it's in the high 30s the whole way through. That's just a lot of freaking money, dude. Uh, and if you're paying Kelly Oubre a, a contract that averages out at $40 million a year, I think you're in trouble, unless he gets a lot better. Uh, I don't think that would be the contract he gets if he stays at this level of play, but as you said, if he just improves a couple of things, it gets to the point where he's a little more consistent, maybe like a borderline all-star player the way Tobias is, that's a great player. You want to have that player in your team, but you don't want to have that player in your team for the max. Yeah, he's a great third piece, essentially. You know, We've got yeah. Aiton and Booker there. Uh, depending on how you feel about Aiton, you might not quite believe just yet that he is the, the true second option on this team, particularly when that, when Kelly has games like the one he did against Houston. But you, know, you want him as your third piece, but you want to be paying him as your third piece. I just thought it was really interesting to touch on that because the Sixers show exactly this. You know, they've got Ben Simmons coming into a max extension, uh, Embiid already on one, uh, and then they've got Tobias Harris as well as Al Horford, and, and both of those guys are probably overpaid because the Sixers just had to do it to to compete right now while they've got those two uh, big pieces. And we're going to have that, you know, for all the panic, which we didn't really touch on with uh, Delo stuff just yet in this trade deadline, but all the panic among Suns fans about keeping Booker happy. Like this is a more, you know, realistic scenario to talk about. Forget about trading for his best friends and things. You know, you, you don't want to be in a situation where you're forced to pay a guy more than he's worth purely to keep someone like Devin Booker happy because you don't want to be seen to, you know, be trading away one of the the few good players 
uh, that's on his team that that helps him night in and night out. And that's the really tricky thing here. And I, I mentioned Harris because, you know, he was 26 when he got that max extension. Uh, he just came off a season shooting 40% from three. And probably the other thing compared to, to Kelly was uh, 3.5 assists a game, which I'm not sure whether Kelly Oubre is ever going to be able to have that in his bag, Max. But, you know, if Oubre does come back and, and the shooting in particular is more consistent and, and up to... 38 39% I I think it's going to you know it's going to command money and the, and the Suns are going to be in a, a tricky situation I think I'd be happy if Uber got up to 3.5 passes a game uh, that would be an upgrade <laughs> uh yeah so you were right to bring up Aiton uh because I think that's a really that's the elephant in the room here if if Kelly Ubre blossoms into a player who at least one team is willing to give the max to next summer you have the Aiton extension in your near future that's going to be a max David uh, are the Suns really going to give Ubre a $40 million a year average value while they're still paying Booker and have the Aiton contract coming in a year or two? That's going to be a lot of money for Mr. Sarver, David. I don't really necessarily see that in the uh, in the cards for them. So yeah, I would say that if, if, if Kelly blossoms like that, I think it's very likely that uh, he will be getting that money from a different team. Yeah, especially when you've got uh, cheaper wings in, in Mikhail and Cam yep. Johnson. You know, of course, if Ubre is well outperforming both of those guys, then it's a a decent conversation, but I think it's also why the, you know, the conversation of having too many wings on the roster was a little bit overblown because now they have, you know, Mikhail can only get a certain type of extension and, and probably won't be in the big money for his first, or, you know, or his second contract, I should say. Cam will be, you know, in the mid twenties of his, you know, age years and still on a, a rookie scale contract. That's quite cheap. So that from that point of view, they've got options and it's a smart play, but yeah, I think I looked at it. I think at the moment on cap projections, we're looking at around thirty-one million dollars for that first season uh, as a max zero to six type player. So, and then as you said, it, it scales up from there, and you might get to you know up to forty million by the end of the contract, and that that's a lot of money for a guy that we watch right now that maybe just shoots it a little bit better because he's still got some flaws in his game, particularly around the passing and things, as we mentioned. So. Just something to watch, and and I think we'll see his name come up uh, probably in the off season and things because uh, you know it, it is a choice that the Suns have to make. Yeah, and maybe so if if next season things are just beautiful, like Booker and Aiton both take steps and they're all stars and and Uber's at level two and they're like a surprise, you know, five seed in the West, mm-hmm. then maybe it's a little different. Maybe then you pay him because you feel like okay, this can be our team going forward. But if there's any question whatsoever whether or not you know the team is what it needs to be, I just don't see how you could possibly give away that kind of money. Uh, maybe last thing to focus on here with the trade deadline is just the, the just the very fact that the Suns didn't do anything yes. and how angry it made so many people. Um, my thought on it is this: like, yeah, I really wanted them to do something too. Uh, it's tough to watch this team, especially as we mentioned earlier with the lack of depth they have. But at the same time, I, it's really hard for me to kill uh, James Jones for not making a move when I don't know what was on the table. I don't want him to make a bad move just to make a move. That's like that's the exact opposite of what you want. You can kill your team doing that. That's kind of like the the uh, Ryan McDonough special of that Brandon Knight trade. Um, <laughs> don't don't want anything like that. So you know if if James Jones turned down something that I would have loved for him to do, then yeah, I think that's a mistake. But I didn't. I don't know if that was there. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. So I would just caution Suns fans to just not assume things. And in particular, and I'll, I actually want to get your thoughts on this in particular too, because you you like me uh, are a cat nerd. I thought it was really kind of silly how much uh, flack they got for not trading Tyler Johnson's contract, the expiring. Mm-hmm. That's a little easier said than done sometimes, guys. It's a lot of money. It's hard to find a trade that works. It's not like you can just deal that to any team. 
Yeah, and we we said it in our lead-up podcast, I think, to the trade deadline is not only in general is it pretty hard, this year in particular it was really hard because there weren't a lot of, you know, star players on big money wanting to be offloaded and, you know, we were really just looking at, you know, expiring for expiring type deals and you just have to look at the other team and go, why would they do that? Like, if we're going to get a player that probably is going to be in our rotation and and Tyler Johnson's not going to be in the other teams, like, what motivation does the other team have to doing that and you know again i applaud james jones if those deals yep. were on the table but we had to add a, a second round pick or something to make it happen you know do you really want to do that for you know a team that's not going to make the playoffs with you know 30 games left or something i, I just don't think that that would be smart business i think you hit the nail on the head outside of canard we we re- literally have no idea what they tried to do so it's pretty hard to judge them too much for standing pat i think as you said a lot of people have jump to conclusions particularly on like Baines Tyler as you mentioned Dario we did get a small report from Gambo on Dario that they were trying to shop him for a first which I think is smart like if he doesn't have a future with a team that's great go out but don't give him away as well because he probably can be serviceable at least for the rest of the year at a position that you're, you're pretty weak at the moment so yeah I think you've hit the main point on that is I think that uh, we don't know what they tried, and I'm sure they did try a few things. Obviously, getting the canard rumor at least shows that they weren't totally inactive and that they were trying to do things, again, for the future. And uh, I, I'm kind of impressed, you know, with the the willingness to stand pat and not panic because, you know, I saw a lot of fans saying, you know, same old, same old or, or more of the same, and I couldn't disagree more. Like, this is the exact opposite of what the old regime yeah. did, as you mentioned. With, with they weren't standing pat. There were there were rumors, like you pointed out. There was Canard, and there was and there was the uh, the Ubre stuff. They were doing stuff. They they didn't like anything that they had. Exactly, and I think the 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 biggest takeaway I'm going to take, and we've already seen this come to fruition with uh, Cam and Ty being back from their injuries, is I think that we got a pretty clear signal that most of the injuries are going to lighten up. Uh, the the two rookies, as I said, are already back. I think, you know, Dario, Frank, and Aaron, you know, I think they'll probably be back after the All-Star game. You know, that's just a guess, but I think they're probably taking them through to that big break. You know, Baines in particular has been out shooting in, in warm-ups for quite a while now. I think we've even seen Frank on the court recently. Uh, our good friend Kellen Olsen noted that one. So, and there's about 27 games left after the All-Star break. So, you know, I think, you know, you can't predict what future injuries might happen, but... I think they might be back to full strength after the All-Star period, and, and that's why they're not uh, or weren't going to panic too much on a, a rental or something to fill a, a rotation spot because, you know, that's probably the only other thing to touch on with standing pad is I think Jones likely kind of sees that after All-Star period as a, a real evaluation period of of what they got so he knows, uh, you know, what to target in the off-season. I think, you know, is there any history for those guys that I mentioned, Saric, Frank, who's got a team option or, or Baines in bringing him back, you know, can we count on one of Cam or Ty to, you know, hold down a rotation spot and therefore not have to bring in a vet for one of those spots? You know, we touched on Kelly before, but, you know, is he a legit third option towards the end of this year that you can really count on and therefore not look to trade? Uh, you know, Mikhail we've mentioned, Booker and Aiton we've mentioned as a one-two punch. You know, you, you're going to find out what all the needs are and, and they're going to have some ways to bring in 
some new players. You know, everyone's touched on the fact that the draft isn't very good. Free agency isn't very good, but you know, they're also going to have some options with trades, Max. Uh, it wasn't all about this deadline. There are actual other, other opportunities to make trades. That wasn't the one and only time that we can improve the team via trade. So yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to, to see now that they have stood pat uh, on what the team does for the rest of the year. And, and that's definitely what I'm going to be watching. There's two more points I want to make here. Um, one on the expiring money. Nobody wants expiring contracts uh, in this league right now. No one cares about this nope. free agency. So I, I, you didn't see a lot of those trades being made. The Suns probably just didn't have anybody that they could unload Tyler Johnson on for an asset. Just no one's given up an asset for that space. Um, and then the other thing is on Dario Saric. I think there's a real chance this summer that he doesn't really have a whole lot of interest and maybe even plays on his qualifying offer with the Suns. Like they, they may get another season out of him at a, at a, at a pretty decent price. Um, uh, so I, I don't know, necessarily know that you're just giving him away entirely by not trading him at this particular deadline. Yeah, I was looking at that number the other day. It's like $4 million or something. And, and, you know, love or hate Dario, him on $4 million next year is like your, your first or second big off the bench is not the worst result for a, a team that... Uh, needs active NBA players and and might spend big on you know one or two uh, higher price guys uh, to bring in and, and really make a leap next season and that was really the only question I wanted to throw to you to to end the whole standing pat situation you know jumping forward a little bit what do you think the aims are for the off season I guess not in great detail of of what players and stuff they want to get but you know I've kind of I've got a feeling that you know. I think last offseason is a little bit of a signal in terms of the type of plan they might go ahead, but I also think they're really primed to, to make a trade here. Like Everyone's talking about the cap space uh, and free agency but and kind of forgetting that you know they can probably use the cap space in a trade instead, Max, and, and I think that might be you know the one avenue James Jones has in terms of making a real leap for this team next year, which he's kind of keeps saying is that, you know, going on from next year is when they're really starting to target adding to the team. Yep. Uh, I'm going to ask you, David, for one uh, league-wide trade that you like. One league-wide wide trade... Probably the four-teamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was just an, a weird trade. We, we don't see four-teamers very much. Uh, and weirdly, I probably liked it from Minnesota's perspective more than any of the other teams. I think, you know, Houston getting Covington, you know, great. Atlanta getting Capella, great. Didn't really love it for Denver. Um, but just from a pure interest coming out of nowhere, as someone who loves the trade deadline, I, I just love that deal. How about you? Did you have one in mind? Yeah. <laughs> from a nerve perspective, that was my favorite one because it was just so ridiculous. And you know that <laughs> they didn't nerd out over that for so long. Yeah. Uh, Gerson Rosas is obviously uh, used to work for Daryl Morey and has taken a lot from Daryl Morey. <laughs> yes. This is the way he operates because he was all over this deadline. Um, I'm going to go... It wasn't my favorite trade, but I, I, I want to defend it because I think it's getting too much hate. I actually kind of like what Golden State did yep. uh, to get Wiggins and get the asset along with it because that's a really good pick they got along with it. I think it's fair to project the Timberwolves not to make the playoffs next year. And to get that extra asset to go along with their own pick this year, they're going to get you know a top four player in this draft probably. Yep. They're going to have those two assets along with Wiggins' money, which is you know a decent amount of money to, to build for a superstar trade. And also I think if Wiggins is going to improve anywhere, it's going to be there. Uh, and that spacing and that system, and he's actually in, you know, he absolutely fits a positional need as well. Uh, you know, he can, just, he can just run around. He doesn't have to be the star. He has to be an athlete. He has to run around and be athletic, Andrew Wiggins. Uh, and I'm really interested to see how he plays in that system. I've been a, a Wiggins hater for a while, but I think if uh, this is the perfect spot for him. And I think they are probably going to end up trading him. And, you know, I, I'm not really sure that 
they would have really, you know, D'Angelo Russell obviously had a more interest around the league than, than Wiggins did. But, you know, other teams were in on him, and this is the only thing, this is what Minnesota, the Minnesota offer wasn't insane, mm. right? They didn't think of it that much. So if New York was in on him, if New York was that in on D'Angelo Russell, then why didn't they trade him there? Like, why didn't New York, you know, New York's offer should have trumped that Minnesota offer if, if D'Angelo had so much so much uh, value. So I don't think Wiggins has that much less value than than, than D'Angelo has. And I just I just like what uh, Golden State did in terms of like uh, preparing to uh, be in an arms race in the near future. I love that you brought it up because so many thoughts come to mind for me. You know, I always had this big question from the off season when Minnesota were targeting D'Angelo. Like, what team was it that they were confident was going to take Wiggins on for them, uh, and what was the cost of that? So my first, you know, question that came to mind when this trade went through is, you know, did the cost uh, for D'Angelo for Minnesota? Uh, was it more or less now than what it was uh, to offload Wiggins's contract in the offseason mm. to make the space for D'Angelo? I think it's probably around about the same. I think it probably would have cost them yep. a, a protected first and some other fringe assets. So they haven't lost from that perspective. I really like the D'Angelo, you know, Wiggins comparison because I think, you know, as high as some people are on D'Angelo and low on Wiggins, I think it, it speaks a lot to, you know, how much fit. Uh, and situation and and just kind of general coverage of your game uh, sways public opinion because you know admittedly I'm I'm quite low on D'Lo compared to most but I actually don't think going forward there's all that much different uh, in their games and what they would probably bring to you and we get to see that play out you know as Suns fans we're going to get to see this whole Minnesota Suns who's going to try and get the big three first and, and how is it going to actually impact your team going forward? We get to see that play out. So I'm really excited from from that standpoint. Uh, and you touched on it there with Wiggins probably not being long for Golden State in the future. Uh, and, and as a bit of a trade nerd myself, the fact that we're going to go from uh, Kevin Durant to D'Angelo Russell to Andrew Wiggins and then to seeing what Golden State next get uh, and therefore turn Kevin Durant into uh, many, many years before is a really interesting thing for me. And, and throw in the fact that, you know, Wiggins was essentially the piece that won uh, LeBron James a title in, in getting Kevin Love across to Cleveland as well. And now all of a sudden he's tied to, to Kevin Durant in a small, weird way as well. It's it's just got all the links to it, Max. So I'm really glad that you brought that trade Wiggins up. is going to be connected to a lot of incredibly important NBA history moments without ever actually being a good player. Really <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I wish I did. Should we go ahead and do our, uh, our all-star draft here, David? Yeah, unless you want to mention one that you hated. I, I didn't love the, the Memphis trades, to be honest. Not that I hated them, but you know, for them to be having such a fun season and then take... Uh, you know, a couple of the vets out of the locker room plus Iguodala who never got there in the first place. So I'm intrigued to see how they go for the rest of the year now that they've really only got, I think, Valanchunas and, and not much else in the in the way of older guys, Max. I like some of what they did. I didn't get the Gorgie Dang thing at all. That was weird. It didn't make a lot of sense yeah. to me. I think getting uh, getting Winslow, I did like. I thought that trade was fine. Yeah. Although it wasn't as good as I thought it was when it was first reported because of some of the salary they took back. <laughs> yes. But yeah, but yes, uh, Winslow, I think, is interesting. I also think he really fits the kind of the MO of that team. Yep. You know, he's really the, the whole, like, you know, we grit and grind you, we play defense, that thing. I think he's going to really fit in well. It could be, if, if, J, if JJJ improves defensively to where a lot of us thought he'd be uh, in the pre-draft process, mm-hmm. and you have that along with, you know, Brandon Clark, and you have Winslow now, you have Tyus Jones, a great defender, Melton's obviously very good. Um, Morant has the ability to be a good defender. Uh, that team could be really scary soon. Uh, they'll probably make the playoffs this year, and they may be, you know, a higher seed uh, soonish. But yeah, overall, I do. 
generally agree with you, although I like the Winslow part of it. Um, in terms of a trade I don't like, um, hmm. Overall, I think I... There's not a lot else to choose from. I like the Capella <laughs> trade, I guess, like a standalone, getting Capella for Atlanta. But overall, I just don't like what Atlanta's doing that much. I didn't like how they went back and got, uh, what's-his-face, Dwayne uh, Deadman. I, I didn't make a lot of... I just, Deadman, yeah. I, it just kind of seems to me like they're just making a lot of like weird moves in the margins. And I don't... I don't really see what their, their what the crystallization of the idea of their future team is. Like, I don't get it. I don't get the process that are going through right now. I, I get Trey Young's awesome. I think Herder's gonna be really good. But Collins is kind of fine. I think they might trade Collins actually. I'm not sure he fits what they're doing. But yep. it's hard for me to know, David, because I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that that team screams to me as a, a GM that had a you know a plan in place of of how to build a a, a contender long term, uh, and then ownership that maybe is a, a little bit more impatient now and wants yeah. to make some win now moves. Cause yeah, whenever you see some confusing stuff and, and certain moves that don't match up together, that's probably uh, the first uh, conclusion that you can make, but you said it before. Let's uh, let's go to the, the fun exercise of, of picking out all-star games and, or teams I should say. And I want to be Giannis Max for just for a day. I want to be Giannis and Tukumpo. I just butchered that. But so I believe <laughs> Uh, LeBron had the first pick. So if you're willing to agree, I'm willing to give you the first pick just if you let me be Giannis for a day, Max. Sure, why not? So I am LeBron. My <laughs> first pick... Are we going to do the thing where they do in the uh, in the actual draft where you have to pick the starters first, or are we going to do anybody? Yeah. Only because it makes it a little bit more interesting, I think, if you have to rattle off those starters first. So we'll, we'll stick with that structure. Okay, one last thing. Are we pretending this is an actual game, or are we going to say this is the actual All-Star game? Uh, we want to win the All-Star game. Okay, we want to win the All-Star game. That definitely affects things. Uh, Even with its new weird rules. I think if we want to win the All-Star game, I think I'm going to take I'm going to take Luka Doncic. I think he's going to try really hard in his first All-Star game. I'm not surprised by that pick at all. And I <laughs> am going to make a, a modern-day All-Star game Twin Towers, and I'm going to pick Anthony Davis as my center. Mm, you took my teammate. Now Anthony Davis hates me. Exactly. You shouldn't have taken Luca first, LeBron. Bad move. Do you get two in a row or do I go next? Uh, I think we just go one for one. Okay, we'll go one for one. That, that benefits me, so I'm okay with it. Um, if I have LeBron and Luca, <laughs> I'm going to need to get somebody to play some defense. Uh, I'm going to take Joel Embiid, David. Defense in the All-Star game? What do you mean? Joel Embiid is the, like, the one guy who will play defense in the All-Star game. <laughs> All right. I'm going to... You know, the, when the fourth quarter starts and they play that silly rule where it's first team to 24 or whatever uh i think defense is actually going to be played so i'm going to take Kawhi leonard and roll out Giannis, Kawhi, and anthony davis and good luck trying to score in the fourth quarter on those three guys man it's not bad david i'm not going to say that's bad um <laughs> right, you know what i'm going to go with i'm going to need a little bit more ball handling i think with luca i gotta imagine it'd be uh, difficult to guard james harden and luca Doncic at the same time so i'm going to go with him all right sounds good you are making it a tough choice with the last three guys. There's, for the listeners, Pascal Siakam, Trey Young, and Kemba Walker. And I am refusing to take Trey Young just because he does not deserve <laughs> to be in this group of players. Uh, I could go even more athletic and take Siakam, but uh, let's throw a point guard in there that, that fits pretty well and, and shoots the ball with my guys. So I'm going to take Kemba Walker as my starting point guard. Max. Guess what, David? You're getting Trey Young anyway because I'll take Pascal Siakam to round out my All-Stars. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Starting shooting guard for the 
Giannis All-Stars is Trey Young. At least no one plays defense anyway, David. That, that's going to help you. Exactly. Um, exactly. Okay, so do I get the first pick of the reserves as well? Uh, I am going to give it to you. I don't know if that's the real rules, but you know, I'm, I'm feeling nice. And you, you're picking guys that I don't want anyway, so we'll, we'll keep that Let's going. Let's see if you don't want this guy, David. I am taking Devin Booker with the first pick among my reserves. <laughs> uh, I don't care if he's not actually on it. He is on mine, David. I'm living in my own headcanon here. I'm taking Devin Booker. All right, I will allow it, but you got to kick someone out. Um, you can kick out. So here's the next thing. You you gonna make? How about this? You gonna make my next pick for me, and then throw somebody out. That that'll be the the deal. Okay. Well, I was gonna pick Russell Westbrook purely because <laughs> he goes hard in these games. So if you want to win, yes. he's actually a guy worth having on your team. And weirdly, similar angle to you. I don't think we've got long left for this to actually happen. But he's probably the first guy that I think of in terms of going out with an injury and, and actually getting mm. Devin Booker into this game. And then all of a sudden, I've got the real Devin Booker on my all-star team. So uh, I'm going to take Westbrook as my first reserve. You can have fake Devin Booker. <laughs> and then for you, you have to take Donovan Mitchell. Oh, man. That's tough. Although, Booker and Mitchell have been awesome <laughs> together in my fantasy team. I've enjoyed having those two together on that. Uh, and this is kind of also kind of a fantasy team. All right, so who are you, who are you tossing out of the of the whole group then? All right, so you have to take Mitchell. I've already taken Westbrook, so they were probably my first two targets to toss <laughs> out of the the game altogether. Uh, I feel sorry for this dude, but you know he's probably the the easy pick. Uh, Sabonis, you no longer get your mm. first All Star game appearance. Uh, you've been replaced by Devin Booker on Max's team, so. There we go, and then that makes it my pick now, is that right? It is, yes. All right, with all my athleticism and a little bit of shooting, Westbrook doesn't give me much. I'm going to go the guy that's probably the hottest player in the NBA right now, Dame Lillard. Ooh, good pick. Yeah, he's absolutely ridiculous right now. He's the best offensive player over the past couple of weeks. Um, he's nuts. I am going to go with somebody who's going to give me a little more uh, defense, a little more on the wing. I know you don't think there's any defense in, in this game, but I like first-time players who actually think will play defense. I'm taking Jason Tatum. Ooh. He's been really, really good lately. I don't know if you've noticed. He has. He's, he's well down on my list, but I'm not going not gonna to can the pick. Uh, I'm not going to make the same mistake as you, and I'm going to pick my teammate and more shooting, Chris Middleton. He's also been on fire lately. He's had a really good season. Um I'm going to go with a little more ball handle, a little more athleticism. I'm going to go with Ben Simmons. You're killing me on that one. He would have been the you know the fourth guy in my Giannis Kawhi Davis Ben Simmons mm. uh, quadruple double. But unfortunately, you have stolen him from me. Uh, this guy's just fun as hell. I loved watching him last night, even though he still killed us and they won the game. Nikola Jokic is on my team. Hard to hate that. You could use a center there, so it makes sense. Uh, I'm going with the best player left, and honestly, a better player than a lot of the players we already have on our teams. He shouldn't have fallen this far. Although, I guess in an all-star game, maybe he should, because last year he didn't play in it. He was hungover. Jimmy Butler, David. Yep. The question mark I have next to him is exactly what you just said. Will he even play the game? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm going to lean into this all-athleticism and small guard shooting thing that I've got going on. And I'm going to take, oh, it's one between two. Max, who do you like more out of Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry? I don't think I can tell you that, David. I don't want you to take my guy. <laughs> Damn, I thought you might fall into that. Uh, 
Might be his last ever All-Star game. I'm going Chris Paul, down the stretch, clutch. Yeah, I like it. Makes sense to me. Um, I'm going to take a dude who obviously really wanted to be in the All-Star game. He cried last year for not making it. Need a little more defense, need a center. It's Rudy Gobert. <laughs> you can't mention Gobert without mentioning that he cried for not making the All-Star game. It's just... Listen, it, I, I don't begrudge the guy. He has a lot of emotions. He's passionate. But listen, it's, it's just... It, it happened. Yeah, it's an NBA rule. All right, well, you didn't make me choose between them, so I'm going to take both. I'm going Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, I like it. Man, I almost... God, I really want to take Bam, but now I already have two centers. I don't know if it makes sense. Uh, who else is left even? But then, it, you know, it's Ingram. I don't like Ingram. I'm going to take Bam out of bio. I don't care. All right. That's fine by me because Ingram fits my team perfectly in that he is both athletic and a shooter. And I believe we're done. So we should run over it really quickly because that would have been a whirlwind for the listeners. So my starters, Max, are Kemba, Trey, Giannis, Kawhi, and Davis. How about you? My starters are Harden, Luka, LeBron, Siakam, and Embiid. It's close. I, I like your guard play. I think you've probably got the edge as far as the starters go. But I'm gonna I'm gonna yank Trey out of there real quick, and and maybe not even. Yeah, that's the really, that's the sore that's the sore part of your lineup. <laughs> maybe not even let him back out on the court. But uh, as far as reserves go, my bigs are Jokic. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So thank God I've got a lot of athleticism in that starting lineup. I guess Ingram can play some four for me. Uh, what do you got? You must have all the other bigs, Max. There are, you know, there really aren't a lot of bigs. I have Gobert and Bam. So yeah, I do have the other two, but we took some bonus out of the game. So that's that hurt the big rotation. Fair enough. And then I'm going to throw a whole bunch of guards at you. I've got Russell. I've got Lillard. I've got Chris Middleton, Chris Paul, and Kyle Lowry are the last five guys on my list. All shooting there. You better watch that out, is, Max. That uh, is dangerous, especially in an all-star game to have all those guys. Uh, I have Booker and Mitchell and Simmons, <laughs> I guess you'd call my guards. Uh, Booker and Mitchell, that's kind of a fun thing. It'd be fun to see them play together just for the Twitter part of it. Um, <laughs> and then, obviously, Ben Simmons can play guard, but he's just kind of a force. All right, that's it. That was a bit of fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to the... Well, you don't have any wings, David, because I have wings. <laughs> I have Tatum and Butler. <laughs> okay, okay. You've got me there. I'm, I'm going to be leaning heavily on those guys that I, I built up at the start there with, with Giannis, Kawhi, and Davis. So uh, we'll see. They might all have to play 40 minutes each and not give many minutes to, to some of the other guys. I think we both did a better job than Giannis did in the actual selecting. Can we agree on that? <laughs> He's so bad. I really hope he doesn't get it again next year because they have to share it around for you know no other fact other than the fact that Giannis is not very good at drafting. And hopefully he doesn't uh, have too much sway in that Milwaukee Bucks uh, GM office I- because, <laughs> uh, yeah, no good. I hope he's really bad at picking teams for himself in 2021 too so he comes to the Suns. That'd be awesome. Uh, all right. <laughs> I get, on, on the on the flip side, I guess LeBron is showing uh, what everyone suspects, and that he's got a, uh, a lot of experience being a GM and building teams. Back. It's really not fair to let him uh, that the only actual GM in the league pick the All Star team. That's not, that's not fair. Um, all right, David, we ready for uh, seven seconds or less? With the sun standing pat at the deadline, Max, I can't help but jump forward a bit and get your initial thoughts on what the Suns' plans are going forward. As everybody knows, but I'll quickly say, Max has seven seconds or less to answer these three questions from me, which we do every week, and it is my turn to ask the questions, Max. So question one, who is the one trade target you'd like to see the Suns or play for the Suns next year? Realistically, yeah, please. Yeah, that that was the qualifier, right? Because Bradley Beal would have been the one for me. You don't think that's realistic? No, I mean, I don't. Not unless the Suns are willing to trade Aiton. Uh, are the Suns willing to trade Aiton? You think? Mm, probably not. 
that would be the way it gets down. But if they do, I mean, I mean, if they do trade eight, and I think they could probably get him. Um, in terms of realistic, I'll go and try to go semi quickly here. Oh, put me on a spot. Maybe a sign and trade. Davis Bertans would be interesting Ooh. if he doesn't want to be there, and uh, the Suns are going to give him like you know a three year thirty, or maybe even no, so that's probably too late. Three year fifty, something like that. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, I'm putting on the spot again, but who is the one free agent target that you'd like to see on the Suns next year? Mm, can I use the same answer? Is that cheating? You could probably go. <laughs> yeah, you could probably go Batans again. <laughs> yeah, and I think I would. You know, in fact, the trade answer, I'll probably have to come up with better for that because it's not a very good answer because why would we sign and trade for somebody we can just sign out, right? Um, Davis Batans is my answer for this one. And while you're asking the third question, I'll try to think of a good answer for the first question. All right, I'm not going to do the third obvious question here and target the draft because I know it is far too early, but I do know that you've had some favorites from draft classes of recent past. So in the theme of the Suns almost getting Luke Kennard, who's an old draft crush of yours that you'd love the Suns to target because he's maybe not worked out so far in the NBA or or perhaps a little underappreciated by his team and, and could help the Suns? Does anyone come to mind in that uh, sphere for you, Max. I'm never going to quit Frank Nilakina, David. I just can't. <laughs> I, he shows him time of the life. He's actually been really good defensively. If they could just, and the Suns are not the best team in the world at fixing jump shots, but if somebody could just fix his jump shot, I think he'd be a really interesting 3 and D wing. He still makes a lot of sense with Booker. You could have him in Booker, uh, Bikel lineups. Uh, it'd be really interesting. Yeah, I like that. That's that's one that I didn't think of. And, you know, they're going to have a, a new GM again, so might finally cut bait. Uh, with Frank, so I like that pick. Do you have a, a new one for question one, or are we letting you off the hook this time? I do. I don't want to be held to, I actually would love this or not. I just want to bring this up because I think it's interesting. Now that Detroit is in obvious full sell mode, only two years left on the contract, do, if, if the Suns don't have to give up anything, is is there a chance they take a spin on Blake? Ooh, I guess a lot depends on what this rest does for him but uh yeah i hadn't yeah. hadn't thought about that uh, you know i love blake you know healthy blake for sure so um yeah i guess that's something to to mull over and and think about going into the off season you know i i like to think of it as being a chance purely because uh i, I don't want to quit on on blake griffin you know not being an nba player anymore i really hope that this rest is going to do him some good and and maybe have one last run in him max so uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't go at Max for this. I've I've put him on the spot, but it, it's certainly a um, an interesting question I hadn't thought about before. I like that the one. The Suns are one of the few teams in the league that you can see actually wanting him because it's such an important positional fit, yeah. and then also that just has the ability to get him. Mm. They could they can't just straight up absorb him to cap space next summer, but if they make a couple moves, they can get to the point where they could. Yep, throw Luke Kennard in there as well, and you might have yourself a deal. Mm, there you go. I didn't even think about that. So that's what we're going to end with. <laughs> we're going to get Blake and Luke Kennard this summer. It's going to be excellent but uh that is it for us uh, please rate review and subscribe as always we appreciate it david anything uh, happened this week? we got two reviews max i'll quickly hey. read those out because we do promise the listeners that uh rdalp or rdelp i guess said only sons podcast i listen to can see all the effort into each pod and great follows on twitter for any sons fan thanks very much to you 
and John and a whole bunch of numbers says, always a great listen. It's a great way to stay on top of the sun since I'm unable to catch most games being from the Midwest. I don't know if that's an excuse, John, because I live in Australia and I still manage to catch most, but thank you for listening. <laughs> yeah, but you're, but you're a crazy person. <laughs> Thanks for listening, though, guys. And uh, it's always nice to hear that we fill a, a little void for Suns fans out there, which is really great. And the only other thing I'd say is what I mentioned earlier in the episode, Max, only the Lakers and the Warriors this week before the All-Star break. So just the two games this week and not sure what our plans are, but we'll be we'll be back soon. Yeah, we'll be back soon. Maybe uh, during the All-Star break, maybe like after the All-Star game. I don't know. We'll see. We'll try to come back as soon as we can. But uh, thanks, guys, for your reviews. Everyone else, please review. One last thing I want to say, because we never promote this ever on the... Uh, well, sometimes we do. Not enough. Uh, please follow our pod account, at 7SOLpod. David does great work on there. He posts seven plays or less, one of the most... Uh, I think beloved things on Sun Twitter. It has its near 100% approval rating, which is very rare <laughs> on Sun Twitter. So everyone check that out. David does great work. Thanks, Max.